John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. All right, we're going to have some real fun right now because, uh, you know, the trade deadline's coming up, ironically, on Election Day, but that's November 3rd. And so at the stage right now, and, of course, it's great to speculate and always great at being able to speculate on this is Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com. And so, Bill, you get on the latest column you have, you know, you make a lot of speculations as far as that. And what I was happy about the way you did it is that uh, you, you go into a theme that I go into is that uh, next year's cap with the cap maybe down uh, 20 plus million dollars teams have to make some moves now probably at discount prices to move salaries so they can actually get under the cap and i know you incorporated into that but here's the one thing that i'm wondering is that uh, mm-hmm. you know with the new protocol which of course changes every day it now takes six for a new player to be able to get integrated and get into the building and so i'm wondering is that going to hold down trades to a certain degree because we've we've had 60 so far where the norm has now been in the last couple years to have a hundred do you see maybe a reduction in some of the trades i do john i think it's a really good point you know i i do think that we're going to see that sort of be a tiebreaker i think you know I, i really believe if a team says you know, we can go out and get, let's say, a Quandre Diggs, like the Seahawks got last year, where that was a, a hole they had in their lineup. They were getting a really good price. Even if they had to wait six days, I think they would sit there and say, you know what, that's still a good move. We'll wait six days. We'll bring him in. Let's go for it. But I think as a tiebreaker, you know, if you feel like, ah, you know, this could be an interesting swap, like maybe we're getting a player who we think has some promise. We're giving up something that's not too much. But we have to wait a week. You know, I, I do think that will discourage teams a little bit. So I, I do think that we're going to see maybe fewer moves. And I think we're going to see moves maybe happen, um, you know, maybe a little earlier. I don't think we're going to have teams wait until the last possible second to make trades. Because what happens if a guy passes his, or doesn't pass his physical? What happens if a guy, you know, takes a few days to get into the building and then, you know, you get in there and he's not healthy? You know, I, I do think that you're going to see teams maybe try to get that stuff taken care of maybe a week before the trade deadline as opposed to on the deadline deadline itself. But I do also think, to your point, that there will be fewer trades uh, over the course of the next uh, three weeks. I think we saw 11. You know, I think I graded 11 meaningful trades last year where it was you know, either a significant player going in one direction or in both directions. So I, I do think we're going to see uh, fewer of those when it yeah. comes to this trade deadline. Yeah, and of course, the one I think you kind of start off with is really interesting because that's one of the because you know you you got about four maybe five NFC teams that are really troubled mm-hmm. right now, and one of those teams is the Philadelphia Eagles, and you know they're mm-hmm. one of the oldest teams in the league. You can see that their run for to a certain degree is going to be over because they have to get rid of so many players to get under the sixty-eight million dollars of cap room. And Zach Ernst yeah. going to the Arizona Cardinals is one that I think is interesting, you know, and coming back because the Eagles have done nothing at the line linebacker position. In fact, what uh, their long snapper is making more than uh, any of the linebackers with Hassan <laughs> Riddick going over there. Talk a little bit about that possibility. Yeah, I mean, Zach Ertz is a really fascinating player because obviously such a, a core part of that Super Bowl team, someone we associate with the Eagles, you know, as, part, as really part of this era, but a, a guy that is coming up for a contract in 2022 has already been, you know, sort of coming out and saying publicly, hey, you know, I don't, I want to stay, but I don't think the Eagles want me to stay. Seems like negotiations aren't going very well on a new deal. And we saw last year when the Eagles had Malcolm Jenkins, or Malcolm Jenkins was uh, wanting a new deal, and he was, you know, on the wrong side of 30, which Zach Ertz is about to get to. The Eagles said, hey, we're going to decline your option for 2020. You know, we think we can spend this money better elsewhere. 
uh, you know, and let Malcolm Jenkins leave for New Orleans. And now with Zach Ertz, I mean, the, the tight end market has increased. Top of the market now is, you know, uh, much higher with George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. Um, so to me, I, I sit here and say, if you're going to get rid of Zach Ertz after this season, which I think is not out of the question given the, the $68 million cap constraint that you mentioned there, $68 million over the projected cap, I think maybe you make a trade now. Maybe you get Hassan Reddick and a third-round pick, where Reddick is a guy who is a great athlete, a guy who hasn't really found his niche, found his role in Arizona. He's getting phased out of the defense. He's actually, you know, he's actually playing out half the snaps right now because the Cardinals don't trust Isaiah Simmons, their first-round pick. So you'd figure they're going to put Simmons in the lineup as the season goes on more and more. Reddick's role is going to be phased out. Maybe he ends up as a pass rusher. Maybe he ends up as a, you know, a guy who can cover a little bit. But like you said, they have invested nothing in linebacker. So why not get an athlete back? Why not get a third-round pick for a guy if you're going to cut him at the end of the year? You know, they're getting Dallas Goddard back, hopefully, in the next few weeks. So maybe this changes the offense. You know, they, they've seen guys like Travis Fulgham, uh, you know, and Greg Ward step up. Maybe it's more of a 11-personnel offense uh, than a 12-personnel offense. Yeah, no doubt. And so, because they, they've got to do some things with the cap. The, the Blockbuster trade, you have a three-way trade that comes up for Seattle. Uh, and again, you figure, okay, how's that fit under the cap? But again, now you're talking about half the salary is already gone because half the uh, yeah. year will be over. But you had the Alex Mack coming over, which would be basically a salary dump for a Falcon team that has cap problems. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Tack McKinley, who comes over as a defensive end to help the pass rush. And what the Seahawks give up would be B.J. Finney, a sixth round pick, and there's a, a swap of a sixth round, seventh round pick from uh, Baltimore, which of course that opens up the cap room because you have uh, over three million dollars right now on the base in uh, Jacob Hollister. Talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that one. Yeah, so I mean, obviously the Seahawks offensive line has been great. You know, I feel like it's been one of the strengths of this team, and something I did not expect heading into the season with B.J. Finney, uh, who they signed really to start at center. I think he was, they were expecting him to start at center, or at least be in the mix of center. Didn't impress them in camp. Didn't play a single snap. Uh, I don't think he's played a single snap on offense so far. I might be mistaken. But, you know, uh, obviously Ethan Pochich is playing well. But I do think they're in a situation where Pochich might be, might be better as a utility lineman. They need that depth. You know, everyone needs offensive line depth. And so getting Alex Mack, getting a veteran center who was very effective. I mean, I think he's not maybe the guy he was at his peak, but still, I think, a really good center. Um, getting him in for the rest of the regular season. And maybe he's your utility lineman. Maybe, maybe you know, Pochich is your utility lineman. But you move on from Finney. You sort of get get rid of that deal. Um, they get Tack McKinley. And I think at this point, there's just not going to be any great pass rushers out there. McKinley looked really good against them when they played in week one. So it's sort of like, hey, can we get a body or two in here just to kind of supplement our pass rushes to get some depth guys in there? And McKinley still has some upside. Maybe they can, you know, find another gear with McKinley. Maybe he impresses over the second half of the season. And then you're only giving up Finney, a guy who's really hasn't played very well or hasn't impressed you, and a sixth-round pick. And then Hollister is really more for Capsis than anything else. I mean, he's their fourth tight end. Obviously, you know, they've had their tight end stay healthy, which has been an issue with guys like Greg Olson and Will Bisley in the past. And Hollister's a good player. I mean, we've seen him, you know, make an impact last year. But a uh, cap, it, like you said, of over $3 million. So you clear that cap space. He goes to the Ravens, a team that, you know, could use a third tight end. Obviously, they use their their, their two tight ends uh, very frequently in Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle. So adding a third tight end helps them. And the Falcons, they're basically getting, you know, uh, they're taking the flyer on Finney, see if he can be a starting center for them. And then a couple late-round picks to clear up that uh, that money with Mack and McKinley. So, you know, the, the Seahawks don't have to make a move. 
But I think if they're going to make a move, you figure a defensive line and maybe adding some offensive line depth as well. Now, naturally, uh, you've got some first-round quarterbacks in the mix because, uh, for whatever reason, some of these teams have not done well. Like the Jets, of course, are an absolute <laughs> mess. So Sam Darnold and then you know Dwayne Haskins. I think as everybody's yeah. speculating, including yourself, his days are just about over in Washington. Talk about those two possibilities. Yeah, you know, I'll start with Haskins. I feel like he sort of, you know, didn't necessarily have a great situation around him. You know, a guy who I think everyone said coming out of school, talented for sure, but needs time to develop. And with you in Washington, you know, really that was a Daniel Snyder draft pick. Really, he pushed that on the on the Gruden regime last year. And now that Ron Rivera is in power and has control, and I think that's a good thing for for Washington in the long term. But you know, Dwayne Haskins lost his job, has not been in the facility the past week. They've said, uh, you know, some illness issues. Hopefully he's doing better. But um, it seems like they want to move forward with Kyle Allen and Alex Smith. And you figure they're probably going to draft a quarterback if those guys aren't impressive in, in the 2021 draft. And Haskins is sort of left by the wayside. And I think he still has some trade value. There's still talent there. He has some things. He just, you know, does not have a lot around him. The offensive line is mediocre. The receivers outside of Terry McLaren are not very good. The running game has been inconsistent. So, to me, I have him going to the Steelers for uh, Justin Lane, who is a quarterback who hasn't played a snap so far, but a, a talented athlete and a fourth-round pick. I think that's a good situation. He can develop behind Ben Roethlisberger. doesn't have to be the guy. doesn't even have to be the two. Mason Rudolph is going to be the two there, so he can be the three there for a year, get some time to develop, get some time to work in that scheme. And the Steelers don't have anything really in the big picture or the long term behind Roethlisberger. I don't think Rudolph's the guy. So Haskins is, uh, you know, kind of a lottery ticket. If you land on him and you think he's good, you think he's a good athlete, think he's, you know, a smart guy, hey, here's your shot at having a, a post-Ben Roethlisberger quarterback without having to pay all that much for it. Um, and then on the Darnold situation, I mean, I believe the Jets, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, uh, there's a 50% chance that on the day of the trade deadline, the Jets will be 0-8. And, and if they're 0-8, doesn't mean they're guaranteed to get the first overall pick, but they're going to be prohibitive favorites to come away with Trevor Lawrence with the first overall pick. And with Sam Darnold, um, even if they don't get Trevor Lawrence, obviously questions about his future. Um, the Jets would have to pick up his, his fifth-year option this offseason, and now that's fully guaranteed, John, as you know, as opposed to years past where it was only guaranteed for injury. So if you're the Jets and you get to the offseason and you have Sam Darnold as your quarterback and you pick up that option, you're locking him in not only for 2021, but for a big salary in 2022 as well. And Sam Darnold, you know, I think we can say he he has promise. He's obviously has had positive moments in the league, some great plays and hasn't had very much around him at all. But it's a, a risky thing to, to sort of guarantee that he's going to be your guy in 2022. when We haven't seen him be good for even a month at a time so far as a pro. So to me, I thought about you know where he might go, where it might make sense, not only for 2020, but in the years to follow. And I think the Colts are a really logical fit. The Colts, of course, traded the draft picks originally to the Jets if they needed uh, draft Sam Darnold in the first place. And Philip Rivers has been okay. I think he's been Better than maybe people think, but, you know, obviously not that impressive against the Browns. He did struggle in the second half last season. They have Jacoby Brissett, but Darnold might be in a situation where he can come in, you know, and maybe start at the end of the season. And then I think there's a stable infrastructure there, a lot of young talent on offense, a great offensive line. I think it's a great situation for Darnold to see what he can do in 2021 when Rivers and Brissett are both free agents and no longer on the roster. So, um you know, I just think if the Jets are going to move on from Sam Darnold, and it seems like that's probably going to happen unless they turn things around over the next few weeks, I think getting a second-round pick and a third-round pick for him would make a lot of sense. And I think for the Colts, 
you know, having him as a, a possible replacement for Rivers, uh, not only in 2021, but also even at the end of 2020, I think could be, you know, a logical use of, of their assets because I think it just, you know, they have to find a quarterback of the future. They have Jacob Eason, of course, uh, but I think Darnold maybe has a little more upside. Okay. You can read the story on ESPN.com, Bill Barnwell. And, Bill, what else do you have? And also talk about the podcast. Yeah, of course. I mean, I wrote about Le'Veon Bell's landing spots this week. I think I had the Chiefs number two. So, you know, uh, better than I – I don't think I had the Patriots or the Dolphins even in the top ten. So, thankfully, uh, Le'Veon Bell did me a solid and signed with the Chiefs mm-hmm. instead. Uh, and then I wrote about the Dak Prescott injury and all the things that are going to come after that. So, uh, always writing about the NFL. And you can uh, check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast each and every week. And I say this every time, John, but it's an honor. Uh, always, always thankful that you would even consider having me on the show. So I really appreciate it. Hey, Bill, thank you so much and great work. You can, hey, listen, you can listen to the show in the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to get out the report card and get some grades going. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the report card with the professor. Professor. The good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories, the anecdotes. We take social media comments. We certainly look at the, listen to the voices and try to attach a grade to all the things going on in sports. And Curtis Rogers here every day to give us a report card. So, Curtis, what do we have? Well, John, let's get started with a story that could have been very scary had it played out. But luckily, due to the bravery of one well-known uh, woman in NFL circles. We don't have uh, any any bad news to report here. That'd be Gail Benson, Saints owner Gail Benson, thwarted an attempted vehicle theft last weekend, and she was able to do that by uh, screaming at the perpetrator until he fled. He tried to enter her car around 2 o'clock uh, somewhere in the New Orleans area. Uh, as he was trying to enter, apparently she just started screaming at the guy, going crazy, ordered him to exit immediately, which he did. Cops were called. An investigation has been launched. No arrests have been made to this point. But how do we grade the bravery of one 73-year-old Gail Benson uh, doing you know, doing the right thing there? Oh, I give her an A. I mean, that's, that's great to see. And I don't know, maybe is it something in the New Orleans area? I still remember uh, Joe Vitt, the father-in-law of Adam Gaze, when he was down in New Orleans, uh, he ended up, uh, you know, running down the street at like about nine, uh, 12 o'clock at night because he spotted some people trying to steal cars and he was chasing them down and he blew out his Achilles tendon Ooh. and he still continued to run. So I don't know if it's something in New Orleans or whatever it is, but uh, yeah, I'd have to give her an A. Yeah, definitely giving Gail Benson an A for that one. Uh, cops are still seeking anyone with uh, information to come forward or hit up Crime Stoppers. So if you're in the New Orleans area listening to this and you saw it happen, uh, give them a call. Yeah, there you go. Shout out to Gail Benson for, for getting that done. Also, John, on the report card today, uh, during the Braves-Dodgers game on Fox last night, John Smoltz, who played for the, for the Braves for so many years, uh, him and Joe Buck were talking about just social media and whatnot and Smoltzy he thought of an idea for a website but I don't know if he checked to see if it already exists here's what Smoltz had to say I want someone to develop an app for all the second guessers and the know-it-alls that are in our world so that they can click time you know time stamp it this is what I would do okay eh, wrong or 
okay, you were right, but all the guys that, all the people that can talk about after the words, what they would do, so somebody out there, I know somebody's smart enough, get an app so that we can get all the second guessers and armchair quarterbacks. John, you're on Twitter, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm on Twitter. A lot of people listening are on Twitter. Most of us on the station are on Twitter. What John Smoltz just explained was Twitter. I I don't know if he's aware of what that website is and what it can do, but that's exactly what it is. How are we grading John Smoltz, hoping that someone creates Twitter without actually knowing that Twitter exists? I, I have to give it a D because it seems like is that old? Is that, how's that being too old school? I mean, it's like, are you not aware of the current technology and all the things that are there? Because you're right. I mean, you you have that ability to pick up the opinions and go for it and all that stuff. I think what he wants is one site that uh, can come in and uh, you know kind of evaluate that because he wanted an app to be able to do it. But again, what is the purpose? I, I don't get it. It's like, okay, uh, people are going to make comments here, there, and indifferent. And, of course, uh, you know, you just have to deal with it. Yeah. I'll give John Smoltz, uh, I'll give him a D- minus on this one, which I looked on Twitter. He does not have an account or there at least an that official kind of account. Figures, yeah. so that's probably why he's not on there. It doesn't Do really... you think, you know, when he's watching games, uh, baseball games, when he's not broadcasting, that he's on black and white TV? It's possible. On a tube television? Yeah, tube television. And then maybe, you know, <laughs> that that phone that he has, he probably has a flip phone. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, no smartphone, flip phone. And then, you know, his at the house, he probably has one of those, you know, swing it around uh, dials on the phone. Oh, the rotary phone. The rotary phone. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. things are old school. Uh, that's probably what John Smoltz has going for him. Uh, I mean, boy, Twitter's fine if if you're aware of it. I, I would hope he's, he now knows. I hope somebody clued him in. I hope he had a producer in his ear like, hey, that that already exists, John. Uh, also on the report card today, John, Greg Olson, Seahawks tight end. Mm-hmm. He hosts a podcast. Uh, he was talking about fantasy football, just from an athlete's perspective, how how football players view that compared to fans. And he said he's starting to come around to it for a pretty interesting reason. Here's what Greg Olson had to say. I don't play fantasy football directly. Um, I indirectly participate in fantasy football because both my sons play it. Um, and they're nine and eight. So, in essence, I'm in charge of making sure that their roster is updated, that they're not starting somebody who's on IR, you know, all of those things. So I indirectly participate in fantasy. I was always very anti-fantasy football because I feel like it made people, like, hate me. Like, we would win, I'd be feeling happy on a Monday, and then, like, you run into somebody at the store, and you only had two <laughs> catches, and they're like, Olsen, you crushed, you killed me on fantasy. If you would have only caught that last pass, or if you only would have, you know, not got tackled, or, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry, random stranger in the parking lot, but, like, I'm not overly concerned about your fantasy team. That's But now, being on the other end of it and seeing my kids, like, on a Monday night football praying that, Julio Jones gets three touchdowns. I'm like, I get it. I get it. It's an interesting perspective. And I mean, you don't play fantasy football, but uh, Greg Olson being a player and sort of understanding it now, how are you grading Olson's, I guess, involvement in fantasy football because of his kids interest in it? Uh, It's, it's, 
I guess it's kind of interesting. I don't yeah. know of any active players that are like, yeah, I'm, I play fantasy football. How are you grading this, John? I'll give it a B because, again, he's helping his kids out. It's not like he's big into fantasy. I mean, uh, but he also understands is that you go around, people are so into fantasy, then he now puts them out there to be criticized and all those different things. But, you know, to, to be able to, you know, even though he probably doesn't like to do it, but he's going to do it for the kids, I'm going to have to give him a B. Yeah, I'll give him a, I'll give him a B plus. He's just being a good dad, helping his kids out. Kids want to play. Dad be like, all right, yeah, I'll help you out here. Uh, I, I imagine Greg Olson has tremendous insight oh, as to who's going to do what out there on the field. Uh, that's a heck of a, I guess, cheat code to have in your back pocket if you're the Olson kids. Uh, so shout out to them and, and shout out to Greg Olson. That is it for today's report card, John. Okay, and of course, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line, taking your text questions. It's 710-710. And of course, it's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESP in Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Even though the Patriots did shut down the facility uh, with a positive test that happened with a player, and we don't know the player will find that out when the waiver wire comes out at 4 o'clock, it still looks as though they're trying to go ahead and play the game between New England and Denver. They told Denver to still plan to fly to New England. We'll keep you updated on that. And as you know, Indianapolis uh, had four false positives, so they're going to be okay, and they're going to be practicing later today. Then, uh, you know, Atlanta, they've been cleared. You know, they're practicing in the building today, and so, uh, you know, lots of news as far as what's going on there in the National Football League, but of course, we want to get what's going on and uh, get your thoughts. You can get on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line. You can text some questions at 710-710. So, Curtis, what do we have? John, this one from the 253. They want to know... Is New York Giants pass rusher Marcus Golden on the trade block? Uh, not really, because I, I know he's unhappy. In fact, he even said it yesterday that you know the fact that you know they've got a younger player in front of him, he's not getting the playing time that he expected, and so uh, you know I guess he could be. And you know again, it's uh, that might be a little bit too much to bite because of the way that things went with Golden. Is that uh, remember? I mean, he he was the only player in unrestricted free agency that the team that had him, which of course is the New York Giants decided to give him a tender. So that's $4 million, and I think that's going to be overpriced right now for a guy like him who has sack ability, but I think right now uh, that's going to be too much. 425, they want to know, John, let's see here. Totally lost it. Uh, this one from the 253, they want to know, do you think Mike Upati comes back for another season next year? Uh, I, I question it because, uh, you know, what you're going to see next year is that uh, so many – now, again, you come back for the minimum salary, then you can come back, and so it's up to him. But I think that you're going to see a much younger league because if the cap goes down to $175 million from 198, uh, five, 198.2, then you're going to see a much a, 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 a older players having a harder time of getting jobs but of course again if you do it at the minimum salary then you might have a better chance so it's, it's debatable now the question is going to be i mean this team now is you know trying to get a little bit younger at guard and would they bring him back 253 wants to know if he does not play another snap in his career is earl thomas a hall of famer mm-hmm. 
Yes and no. I mean, I think he's borderline. And the only reason I say borderline is that, uh, you know, safeties have a tough time getting in. I mean, look at 25 years for Ken Easley. Uh, you know, we're on a little good stretch right now because uh, certainly able to get Troy Palomala and Eric Reed and guys like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he has a chance. It would help him if he get, gets on an, another team and gets to play a little bit more. But, uh, you know, he'll be in the running. It won't be first ballot, though. 206 wants to know, John, anything you've heard about the return of the XFL? Uh, yeah, I mean, The Rock, who bought the uh, league, uh, said they're going to return in 2022, not 2021. And I think what they're looking at is that uh, it's just it's still too tough to be able to assemble players you know, during a pandemic. Obviously, the thought is 222, the pandemic's going to be over, you would hope. And so uh, they've said that they're going to you know, try to go right, right after the Super Bowl in 2022. 907 wants to know, John, when does it look like Rashad Penny will return? I think uh, next week. I think that, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, in another week. Because, again, he has to serve the six games. His team's played five. So I think he has a chance to return in week seven. And this one comes to us from the 206. They want to know, John, is Darren Woodson a Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes a little bad. We know Charles Woodson is going to get in there. You know, But, again, problem that Woodson has, he's a safety. Safeties tend to have to wait. Look at John Lynch. You know, he's, Woodson's not going to get in before John Lynch. Uh, John's on the docket for this year. But, uh, no, I think that uh, you know he, he can be, but it's hard for safeties. This one from the 360. They want to know, John, what do you think the holdup is in the league's decision on Josh Gordon? Uh, hard to tell. I mean, they're, they're not saying anything. Uh, you know, I think it could it be that he's had some positive tests. If that's going to be the case, then, you know, that's that continues. Because you see Randy Gregory, he's about a week away because uh, he had marijuana issues. Uh, he's a week away from going. He's practicing right now, and he's trying to get back on the field, and he might be able to do it next week. In fact, they say he's been great in practice in the last week, but uh, you know it's kind of sound ominous right now for for Josh. This one from the two hundred six. They want to know, John, if you're at an Italian restaurant, spaghetti or lasagna? Uh, of the two, I would probably lean toward lasagna because uh, you know spaghetti is always a solid base, but you have to be spaghetti with meatballs. And uh, you know, again, I would I would lean toward that. You know, might because again, I think the lasagna because it has a nice texture to it and all that. For you, uh, I am going to go with spaghetti on that one. I do love me some lasagna, mm-hmm. but if I'm choosing between the two, I'll go spaghetti over lasagna. Four two five wants to know, John. Do you think George Kittle has a bounce back game on Sunday night? Oh, uh, I don't see why not. I mean, the, the problem is going to be, you know, how's the throws going to come to him? It's like how do you, it's hard to say bounce back for a guy that two weeks ago caught 15 passes, you know, more than any other tight end in NFL history. So uh, I don't think you have to worry about bounce back, but now the question is going to be, can the 49ers bounce back? And I think that's a bigger question. 206 wants to know, John, who do you see winning on Monday afternoon, Kansas City or Buffalo? I, I think Kansas City because they're the better team. I mean, they got, uh, you know, now they're even a little bit better with Le'Veon Bell. Now, the, I don't know if Le'Veon's going to be able to play because he's not going to be able to get through the six days that it's going to take. So I think he's more available for the next week, maybe not this week. But, you know, I think that, you know, uh, you, you still have, it's Josh uh, Allen, 
who's had a great start to the season, didn't do as well last week, going against uh, Patrick Mahomes. I put the money on Mahomes. 253 wants to know, John, who is the third best team in the NFC behind Green Bay or Seattle? Uh, that's, that's a debatable thing because you, know, you, you probably go with either New Orleans or Tampa Bay. You know, and, I, and it's funny because most people were saying Tampa Bay because of Tom Brady, but I, I'm still one that I, I have to look at what happens and what did happen. Say what you want. It was in the first game. New Orleans beat Tampa Bay. And so until you can beat the team that's going to be ahead of you, uh, then it's like I go with the other team. So I'm going with New Orleans right now. This one from the 509. They want to know, do you think Cleveland breaks their streak of or breaks their losing streak of games in Pittsburgh? No, I can't. I don't see it. I mean, you know, because, you know, it, you might feel a little bit better of it if uh, Baker Mayfield didn't have the rib injury. Now, I know he's listed as questionable. He's going to play, but he's going to have to gut it out. And the problem is, is they're going to face a Steeler team that blitzes 57 percent of the time. And, you know, they tend to get hits on the quarterback. And here's a quarterback that already has some rib injuries. Uh, injuries. So I look at it right now i think it's going to be tough and again pittsburgh's still the better team this one from let's see here from the 206 they want to know john what is your score prediction for the rams and 49ers game on sunday night Mm, i think it's going to be you know 27 to 17 rams I think that, uh, you know, you can see that they have problems in the secondary for the 49ers. No Richard Sherman. Then you can look on the offense, and, you know, the offensive line hasn't played well. So I go 27-17. And then this one, John, from, let's see here, from the 425. They want to know Green Bay or Tampa Bay. Who do you have winning that one? Uh, Green Bay. You know, because, you know, it's still Aaron Rodgers, and I know he's going to get Devontae Adams back. That's going to help out. You know, they, uh, they're still kind of, you know, figuring things out on offense with Tom Brady, and they still have some injury things they're working through. But I think it's going to be Green Bay. John, that is going to do it for today's sex questions. Okay, and, of course, time now for our Daily Dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And time for our Daily Dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. And I know uh, even though it's a bye week, uh, David, is you're having an absolutely fun week because baseball has really been entertaining. And so now you have mm-hmm. the, uh, I guess we start off with the bad. What is the deal with Clayton Kershaw, one of the best pitchers of this generation, and he can't do anything in the playoffs? I'm trying to think, John. Is there a football comparison to that? A guy who just didn't have a great regular regular season player and just blew it in the playoffs year after year after year? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can say that you know Kirk Cousins, even though he's not a great player, can be that way. He doesn't do well in playoff games, and he doesn't do well against winning teams. Uh, uh, you can say that. Yeah, uh, but we're talking about. A, I'm talking about a great player. I'm talking about a Hall of Fame player. I mean, uh, it's it's bizarre. It is. It really is bizarre. No, no question about it. Because you know he's just. Uh, I mean, it, I don't know if it's snake bit or whatever. I mean, you, it's now beyond. Oh, you know point. what? It's too many. It's too many games to be snake bit. You know, it'd be one thing if it was you know one or two games or even three or four games but you know this is you know you are counted on to be the big time pitcher and it, you know, you know snake bit is being out dueled is is pitching really well and you know giving up a few fluke hits or having some strange things happen and that's not the case here and and it's got to be ultimately deflating for the dodgers i mean you know they they don't even i mean you know 43 and 17 understand they didn't play a great record and everything like that you know great set of opponents this year but 
you know, this is a perennial playoff team. He's, uh, I think his career record is 175 and 75. Uh, had a terrific year. And uh, as, as a career ERA under three, as a postseason ERA, it's approaching five. It's just, it's it's a mystery. It's baffling. It's, um, it, it doesn't make, you know, it'd be one thing if it was the World Series and it was guys that they didn't see very often in the American League, but you know, the Dodgers haven't made it to the World Series. These are, these are the guys who he, he handles during the regular season for the most part very effectively. And just uh, when, when the big moments come, it's just, it's just not there, and it's it's uh, it's mind-boggling. I really have been I've been scratching my head to try and think. You know, Barry Bonds was a guy who had had some very bad postseasons, mm-hmm. didn't have a whole lot of them, but you know, kind of made up for it. You know, even though they didn't win, he had a great postseason when the Giants under Dusty Baker played the Angels. So, you know, he kind of he kind of did that. Alex Rodriguez, same thing, had terrible postseasons, but had a great postseason. Um, you know, Clayton Kershaw has had. Just, uh, just an unbelievably bad run in the postseason, and, and you know there are the Dodgers who, who what, score 11 runs the first inning of the game before, and, and are back in the series. You know, all of a sudden give up 10 to the upstart Braves, and, and find themselves down 3-1. And even though the Astros are down 3-0, that's that's uh, it's just a, a series that feels completely different. I mean, I I will be surprised if the Dodgers manage to win today, but but uh, it's I have, I have no answers for Kershaw, and I, I have a hard time thinking of a comparison. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, and I mean, when you watched him last night, could you see it in his face? See it in the way he was throwing? That uh, you know, pressing or you know, n- knowing that it's like it's it's just not working. Towards the end, you know, you could see a little bit of body language, maybe that that um, you know, here we go again. That kind of that kind of thought, um, you know, and then uh, they showed pictures of him sitting in the in the dugout when he came out, and he looked just like he did in in '05 and. Excuse me, you know, it was, uh, in, in, in 13 and in, in 15. So it, it's no, there's nothing. I mean, his it, regular velocity was there, regular movement was there. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just a mystery how one of the great pitchers, uh, a, Hall, a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher, uh, just comes up empty, getting time after. And look, he had a, he had a very good playoff game. You know, I'm not saying he's been universally bad, but this is a guy you hold to a different standard. I mean, this is a guy who's a Hall of Fame player, and, and um, these are critical games. I mean, they're down 2-1. They've got momentum coming back. they got a chance to even up the series with Atlanta, and, and boom. I mean, instead they go deep into their bullpen and get routed and, and give those young Braves some confidence. Would Donovan McNabb be one that you would consider that in that category? Well, he got to the Super Bowl, though, didn't he, John? Yeah, but he lost. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I'm, uh, it's... Because I, all I know is that the, they they were using that same label on Andy Reid, which I thought was unfair. Yeah, yeah, no, there's a good comparison. Yeah, so but they they were doing that, and I said, no, wait a second, it's like, uh, you know, Donovan McNabb was good, but he wasn't great. Uh, you know, he'd been to how many championships? Five, and uh, you know, he was in the playoffs every year. But uh, you know, he sneaks in one year, and then you know, Terrell Owens was playing on the, after having the horse collar tackle because he had right, and of course uh, he was playing New England, and in that. That game, I mean, you know, Bill Belichick didn't think that Terrell Owens was going to make mean a, a lick because he put an undrafted cornerback on him the whole game, and you know, T.O. caught like ten passes, but none of them were, uh, you know, difference makers. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, although he doesn't play, and, and it's kind of at the mercy of how his players do. I mean, that, that that's that's I guess a reasonable one, but it's uh, it, it's going to plague the Dodgers because I think they're they're in deep trouble in that series. In the meantime. Uh, the other series was absolutely fantastic last night. I mean, Dusty Baker 
is pulling a rabbit out of his hat. Uh, and, and Carlos Correa calls his shot and, and hits a home run. You know, there, there have been 39 teams, John, that were down 3-0 in the baseball playoffs. Uh, four of them have gotten to a sixth game, gotten to 3-2. Only one of them, of course, the, the infamous Red Sox of 2004 came back and did it. And you got a Houston team that, that, that got a walk-off from Correa yesterday. Didn't have to use their two best starters, even though their bullpen is shot. They've got Lance McCullers and Valdez for the for the next two games, guys who have pitched deep, pitched very well the first two games out. Uh, have the Rays, even though they're up 3-2 on the ropes a little bit. Uh, that was just a spectacular game last night. It's, it's just really been, you know, as much as uh, everyone hates the Astros and whatnot, this has been a great, great series. Uh, just a great, great series of close competitive games. And now you've got a Houston team that, that uh, you know, kind of the opposite of Clayton Kershaw, you know, used to winning. Um, with a lot of confidence right now, with a veteran manager that's put him in a position to, to have success, and uh, going up against the Tampa team that has got to be wondering what they've done wrong. I mean, they, they've played really good in, in all five games and, and, and lost the last two and, and are reeling a little bit. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that they're playing game after game after game and there are no breaks until the World Series between games. So another doubleheader today, and, and um, boy, if momentum is a thing, uh, Houston has definitely got it. Yeah, no question about it. On the football side, <clears throat> big Sunday yeah. night game, San Francisco going against the L.A. Rams. And, of course, if you're a Seahawks fan, you know, I think most of us agree that you're rooting for San Francisco, even though you know, he's not liked in this town. And they won the division last year and went to the Super Bowl. But, you know, the reason that, you know, if you do you want the uh, the Rams at 5-1? and one? Because now they're really going to be challenging Seattle. You'd like to have that two-game gap. And then you look at San Francisco. Listen to this schedule after the Ram game at Seattle home against Green Bay then a uh, at New Orleans and by the way that Green Bay game at home is on a Thursday night so a short week then they get a buy they have to go to New Orleans op- open date come back against the Rams Buffalo I mean they very well by uh, the end of November could be like four and seven true so I mean you know the, the fact of the matter is uh, if you take care of your business it doesn't matter who wins the game though obviously logic tells you you'd rather not have the Rams breathing down your neck you'd rather have some some breathing room so you know as much as it it sucks to say it I, I would agree you know you, you want to see San Francisco win that game they've got a tough schedule coming up but you know you also run the risk of a team like San Francisco getting a lot of confidence in winning a game like that so uh, you know it's again if you're the Seahawks you take care of your own business you don't have to worry about it but uh, that's an interesting one. You know, the, the Chiefs-Bills on Monday night is an interesting one. The Packers-Bucks is an interesting one. But, John, what a in, – in general, and I'll throw in the Bears-Panthers and Browns-Steelers, what a, what, a, what, a, what a slate of rotten games. Well, yeah, but also you got Cleveland-Pittsburgh. I said that, yeah. It's yeah. a Cleveland-Pittsburgh game. Yeah. That's 4-0 and 4-1. I mean, that's, that's – and that, that, that's going to be a fascinating game. But, you know, otherwise, my goodness, Bengals-Colts, Falcons-Vikings mm-hmm. – well, well that's, that's the thing, that's, and that's the thing that, uh, you know, because I keep harping on with the Seahawks is the sense that in this year, I think there's more haves and have nots than we've seen in a while. Because, I mean, you look Good at the, you know, you know, Dallas, I mean, Dallas could win the division with six wins 
If they can go yep. five and one in a division, they can be you know a six and ten team and win a division. Because I mean, you look at the you know Philly can bounce back too, but if they can't because of all the injuries and Carson Wentz not playing well, then you're looking at you know three teams that could be drafting in the top ten. I mean, uh, but again, I think and this is something that bears watching. That's why the Seahawks have a distinct advantage with that five and zero start, and you know it's going to be tough in the division. But if you do well in the division, I mean, you only have one one or two really tough games out of the division. And that would be at Buffalo and at Philadelphia if you want to use at Philadelphia as being a tough game. In other words, take care of your, your business. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about what anyone else does, right? Absolutely. Because you want to get that it'll number be an inter- It'll be some interesting games for sure. Okay. And anything else on the agenda this weekend? Oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm immersed, John. Yeah, I can imagine. You're in, I know you're loving it. It's, it's great. <laughs> And, of course, that's our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. David, have yourself a great day and a great weekend. John, you too. We'll talk again Monday. All right. Sounds good. And, of course, uh, Curtis Rogers, thank you for everything all week long. And welcome back. Hope you're out of the boot yet. Uh, Still got another week of the boot, but uh, we're getting there, John. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. And, of course, I'll be back from 8 to 9 taking your phone calls tomorrow. And then Monday back at 10, it's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.